It's time, God. It's time for us to live a life that pleases you. A life of love. The love that we've received from you, God. Oh, I pray that it would so permeate us that it's, it makes us stand out in the world that we live in. We'd radiate your love to a world that desperately needs to know it. It's time for the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts to be pleasing to you. As we look at that today, God, open our hearts. We've worshipped you so much already with our singing, with our with our offerings, with our prayers, the reading of Scripture, with the communion. All of these, Lord, have been worshiped to you, and now we open your word and ask you to speak into our lives, Lord. Please take away the clutter and the distractions that would keep us from hearing what you want to speak into each one of our lives. You know every heart in this room and every heart that's listening, and you, God, know what you want to speak into our lives. So open our hearts open our minds that we could go away from this place changed because we've been in the presence of Almighty God. We pray this in your most precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated as the children through grade four make their way to their classes that are prepared for them. And I'll invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 19, or check it online, or there's Bibles in front of you there. Psalm 19. It's been a while since we've been outside of the Gospel of Mark. And um, it's kind of, if you're like me, it's kind of like, oh, man, it's, it's done. And so today we're going to look back. And uh, I'd like to read to you a, a couple of verses that come from um, Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of a body. And so I'm going to open for you today a passage from Psalm 19 that I've opened to you four times this year. And, and so the interesting thing about it is each time I've prepared to bring a message to you from this passage, it's spoken to me in a different way, and I'm sure that you found that to be true in your life as well. But we're going to look at this because we looked at it at the very beginning of last year, and so we're going to look back, and, and probably all of you have heard the analogy of as you're driving in the car, you have a windshield in front of you, which is very large, and you have a rear view mirror, which is very small, and both are very important. And so we're going to look back through the rear view mirror, even as we anticipate what that means for us looking ahead. As we stop and consider where we've been two years ago, the verse of the year came from Psalm 96, verses 2 and 3. And it says, Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. And that was our verse from two years ago, and we looked at what would it be like if we allowed our stories to declare His glory. And so many times, if we're not careful, we allow the things that are happening to define who we are. But the things that happen to us do not define who we are. How we respond to those things defines who we are. 
And if we're walking with the Lord in, in more closeness every day, pretty soon the things that happen to us, we, we try to see how can we use these things that are happening to us to declare the glory of God. How can the story of my life declare the glory of God working through my life? I have a wonderful example of that this week as our dear friend Barb Hinspeter one of our senior saints and a definite prayer warrior. On Thursday, I got a text that she was on her way up to Janesville. She had experienced a heart attack and, and actually experienced several times where her heart stopped, and they took her into the operating room. And, and as they got her in the operating room, they were trying to get a stint into the bottom of her heart, and, and her heart kept stopping. And the doctor tried twice, wasn't able to do it, was just about ready to pronounce her and said he was going to try one more time, put the stint in, and the stint held. And he told the family, I'm not sure what's going to happen. She was without oxygen for a long time. We're not certain what her brain activity will be as she wakes up. And so we prayed, we waited, and we prayed. Today her breathing tube is out. They took it out yesterday. She's breathing on her own. Her heart's beating on its own. And um, she's alert and she's talking. And uh, I got a video that her granddaughter sent where uh, she's talking about all things work together for the good of those who love Jesus. Amen. <laughs> she's watching right now. Hi, Barb got a text from Heather that she's watching on the live stream. Heather texted me that one of the first things Barb asked when she was able to speak was, I wonder if these nurses know Jesus. Amen. See, if you know Barbara, you know this is her. She allows her story to declare the glory of God. And, and we've been doing that more as, as a group of people, and I love seeing that. Before we move too quickly, Barb, we're going to pray for you, okay? Dear God, I come before you for Barb. How I thank you and praise you because you've worked a miracle. Even the doctors have, have admitted, Lord, that it's a miracle. Thursday night as Karen and I saw her, Lord, there's no way I could have anticipated that this morning she'd be watching and that I'd be able to pray with her in that way. We all do. We bring her before you, Lord, and we ask that you'd continue to bring your healing touch in her life. But more, Lord, we ask that as she's there in the place where you've planted her, she will make you known, and I know that's her heart. Be with the family, with Heather, with Tim, with Russ, Lord, all of them who are there. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. This year, then, our verse of the year. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We started doing the verses of the year as Pastor Doug came to us about 10 years ago now. And we've had a verse of the year every year. And so I think it's important that we ask ourselves does it matter? Does it matter that we have a verse of the year? And. And does it make a difference? If it's the verse of the year for us as a group of people, has it made a difference in us? Are we different because of these verses that have been a part of our lives? Have they changed us? Have they shaped us? Have they bolded us? 
Is it having an impact in our lives? Now, the end of the year and beginning of a new year is a natural place for us to stop and look back, and maybe you do that as individuals. I know there's some of you who are probably great journalers. I'm, I'm jealous of you who are journalers. I'm, I'm not a journaler. I, I, I sit and I write three words, and I'm like, ooh, this is so boring. And, you know, I mean, that's how I went through school, too. Uh, but... Um, as you, as you think about that, for some people, they sit with pen in hand and they write these things down, the things that the Lord lays on their hearts. Others of you may not even do this and may not even think about it. And for some of us, it may be that we just ponder. And, and I like to think that's biblical because Mary pondered things in her heart. So I'm thinking that's what I do. And so I just ponder these things and look at them and consider. And I try to take a snapshot of myself at the beginning of 2017, a snapshot of myself now. And say, have I, have I allowed myself to be changed by the power of God? Has, has it come to me that my words are different now? Is my, is, my, is my mouth being used more to declare the blessings of God? Are, are the things that I say pleasing in his sight? I have certain questions and phrases that I keep on the wall in my office, and one of them is, how much pleasure is the Lord deriving from my life? And I think a lot of times I, I get focused on how much pleasure I'm having, but how much pleasure does the Lord derive from my life? And one of the things that can do that is if the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth can be pleasing to him. So today we're looking at this truth that the meditation of my heart impacts the words of my mouth, and even as that happens for us as a group of people. The first thing we see is that God's words impact my meditation and then my words. And, and that starts in, in verse 11. It says, by them your servant is warned. Okay, so what are them? And them, as we go back to verse 9, it says, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. So it's the ordinances of the Lord. And the ordinances of the Lord are those things that he declares are right. They're the things that he declares righteous. And so they are righteous. Those are the righteous things that God makes known to us. And after all, who is it who decides what is right? It's God. And so he declares what is right. And by them, if I'm his servant, I'm warned by those things, and I experience a great reward when I keep those things. Now, I don't know about you, but I like a great reward. And so the, the converse is true. If I don't keep them, I forfeit a great reward. God's words impact my meditation. So I take a look at the word of God, his ordinances. And I think sometimes, maybe for some of you, you've, you've taken a look at the new year and thought, this is the year. I am going to read through the Bible this year. And you got yourself a one-year Bible, and you got it all ready to go, and, and it's day seven, and you're on day three. Right? Because, oh, man, those resolutions, what do they do? 
And so now you're filled with guilt because that's what the Word of God is supposed to do, right? Is fill you with guilt? No. Hey, these words of God, they're living. They, they bring life to you. The, the Word of God allows us to know the nature and the character of God. The Word of God allows us to get a glimpse into the heart of God. The Word of God allows us to know God's heart as it, as it re, as it re, in regards to each of us and the word and the world as we see what is the heart of God. And one of the most powerful things that you can do is not necessarily reading Scripture, but it's allowing Scripture to read you. How do you allow Scripture to read you? And that's the meditation piece. It's reading and coming to a place where you go, ooh, and the Lord stops you there. And, and you, you meditate on that. In Psalm 21, depending on your translation, verse 2, it says, you have granted him wisdom. You have granted him the desire of his heart. You have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. Selah means stop and think about it. Meditate on that. Ponder that. Journal about it. Whatever it is for you to stop and allow Scripture to read you. That's what meditation is. Meditation is allowing the Word of God to so permeate my life that it begins to make a difference in who I am at the very core of who I am. And then what comes out of my mouth is changed because out of the heart is where my, my voices come. Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you have verses? Have you, have you memorized? Have you taken the word of God and hidden it in your heart? Have you, have you, have you found that there's sins that you wrestle with and, and no matter how hard you try, you just can't get victory over them? And then, and then the Lord puts the spotlight on a verse and you memorize that verse and you hold that verse. Do not offer the parts of your body to, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer the parts of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. See, you know how many sins that keeps me from? What am I going to do with my eyes? I'm not going to offer my eyes to sin as instruments of wickedness. No, no, no. These are instruments of righteousness. They've been purchased back. They're redeemed eyes. See? Redeemed mouth, redeemed hands. So how have you hidden God's word in your heart so that you don't sin against him? And how have God's words then impacted my words this year? Do I speak any differently? Have I hidden his word in my heart? Do you, do you, do you, do you take a look at, at today and one year ago and do you see that his words have impacted you and changed you? The second thing, meditating on God's words revealed my need for forgiveness and the acceptance of that forgiveness. This is a, a lesson that I've learned this year in a powerful way. As I've seen others in our congregation learning this, this message and this truth as well. Who can discern his errors, David says. Forgive my hidden faults. 
better translation of that is who can discern his own errors? It's David's saying to the Lord, who, who, can, who can discern his own errors? See, the, the truth is my, my glasses work much better than my mirror. In other words, I'm much better at finding fault in you than I am in seeing what the fault is in me. Anybody else have that problem? And David says, it's the same with me. He says, I, how can I even begin to discern my own errors, the, these hidden faults? They're secret. They're hidden from me. I can't even see them. It causes me to, to consider Psalm 139, that powerful Psalm of David, where he says, oh God, you, you searched me. You know me. You know everything about me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You're familiar when, when I was made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know every word before I say it. If I think I'm in the darkness, it's actually light to you. You know everything about me. You have been with me every minute, and you know everything about me. And then he closes the Psalm by saying this, tell me what you see. He starts out by saying, you have searched me, and he ends the psalm by saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, it's saying to God, I understand that you know me better than I know myself. Tell me what it is in me that's keeping me from experiencing the joy that you long for me to have in your presence. That's what it is. See, sometimes we can take a look at this and God knows everything about you and you can go, oh my goodness. Or you can say, what a relief. I don't have to hide it. He knows it. So show me what it is so that I can turn from it and experience the walk that you've designed for me to have. He goes on in 19 to say, Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Uh, do you have any of those in your life? Willful sins, presumptuous sins, proud sins is what that means, arrogant. It's this, this idea that I know what God wants, but I'd rather do what I want. And so you, you sin willfully, See, it's, it's that pride that I constantly find myself up against. The, the pride that causes me to think I know better than God. And, and willfully stand against him. See, pride in many ways is misplaced faith, isn't it? It's placing faith in what I know as opposed to what God knows. It's, it's putting myself in his place is what that is. And David says, keep me from those willful sins so they, dig, they don't rule over me. So there's the hidden sins that we have and there's these exposed sins that we have. All of us. And as we meditate on the word of God, as we meditate on his truth, we realize what these things are and we realize that we need forgiveness. And so we turn to him and we ask him to forgive us. And then we have a whole new set of problems because now we have to accept that forgiveness. And that's what David talks about. He says, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. 
So as, I, as I've been sharing this text and I talk to you about hidden sins and I talk to you about willful sins, you're probably all able to say, yeah, I got those. Now I tell you you're blameless. How many of you are like, yeah, I've got that. I'm innocent. I mean, doesn't it sound so arrogant as you, as you hear me standing here saying, I'm, I'm blameless. Ask Karen, she'll tell you. Don't ask Karen, Aaron. (laughs) No, go ahead and ask her. Because the blamelessness here is the blamelessness of my heart. My sins have been forgiven. And they've been taken as far as the east is from the west. And my God says he remembers them no more. So I don't need to. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. But he washed it and I'm white as snow. Pure. Blameless. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to your account so that when God sees you, he sees you just as if you had never sinned. Justification. You don't need to carry the guilt and the shame of your sin. Satan would love for you to do that. You have been forgiven. Even this morning, as I was in my devotion time and I opened up and began to read a psalm, within that psalm, as I read it, I began to be overwhelmed with a sense of guilt for something I did seven years ago. That's what the Word of God is for, right? No! No, that's how Satan twists it in my head. It's not there for guilt because, listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? I am am not being condemned by God. I am being convicted. Oh, yes, because conviction looks forward. Condemnation traps us in the past. Satan loves to help us identify ourselves by the things that have defeated us. But God says, take those things, learn from them, and make the right decisions going forward. So have you accepted the forgiveness of God? Do you understand that you've been forgiven? To not accept the forgiveness is to choose to live in the shame and the guilt. God never designed that. Search me. Wash away all my sin. Cleanse me. So have I seen my need for forgiveness? First and foremost, have you come to a place where you've seen the need for forgiveness? And if you've asked for it, then have you accepted it? Have you accepted the forgiveness you've received? And listen, once you, once you do that, it impacts your words and it impacts how you forgive others. Once I understand and accept the full forgiveness that comes to me through Jesus Christ, I'm more than happy to extend that forgiveness to others. Seventy times seven. But if I hold on to those things, it feeds a bitterness in me that doesn't allow me to forgive others. And to forgive others is to release them to Jesus. The final thing, meditating on God's words allows my words to be a blessing. As the words of God come into my life, 
it allows my words to become the words of blessing. And, and those are my words that I use everywhere. They're the words that I use here. They're the words I use in private conversations. They're the words that I text. They're the words that I email. They're the words that I write. Whatever way I communicate my thoughts, it's those types of words that can become a blessing. We sang the song, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. It's this idea of pleasing, of blessing God. And could I suggest that it starts with the words that I speak to myself? You've been on the airplane, and all of you sit riveted to the stewardess as she explains the, the pre-flight regulations, right? And she says, in the event that the oxygen masks drop down, what are you supposed to do? Right, because you're of no good to somebody else if you pass out. The most important place for me to learn to use the right words is in my self-talk. Do you have self-talk? How many of you talk to yourself? Okay. How many of you do it out loud? Stupid, stupid, stupid. Yeah, you know. And what are the words that you speak over yourself? Are they, are they truth? Are, 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 they, are they the words of God that you speak over yourself? Or, or do you speak over yourself lies? Like, like that you are stupid or that you are, you know, that I'm a terrible husband. No, I'm not. Okay, you know, what are the words that you speak over yourself? Oh, I could have done better. I should have done this. I couldn't do this. I didn't do that. David gives us a little example of self-talk, I think. An example that we could have. And his self-talk I find in Psalm 26. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Imagine that you're saying this, okay? I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, try me. Examine my heart and mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men. I don't consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do you talk to yourself like that? Do you talk to yourself and say, I'm blameless. I'm innocent before the Lord. I trust him without wavering one bit. Do, do you speak that over yourself? Or do you speak, oh, my faith is so weak, I'm just like, ugh. See, listen, if, if you start speaking lies over yourself, you speak death over yourself, you have no life to speak to others. So we begin to speak truth over ourselves. The truth of what God has said is true of you. And you speak those things over yourself and you begin to experience the life that God has designed for you to live. Because listen, I have spent enough time listening to the lies of Satan and what he tells me. I am not defined by what Satan says I am. I am defined by what God says I am. I am a son of God. 
and my heart belongs to Him. Now, my actions may not always show that. Ugh. We live in a fallen world. In heaven it will, and here, but my heart belongs to God. And He knows my heart, and He knows yours. And He, according to Paul in Corinthians, is not judging you according to your actions. He's judging you according to your heart, your motive. And so you begin to speak these words over yourself and you allow these words to be a blessing over yourself and the next thing you know it begins to change the words you use on others. And Peter in his letter says, finally all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate. Be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. See, that's what we've been called to. We've been called to speak the language of blessing. Some of you are in customer service. And, and as you are in customer service, you get people who come up and they're very frustrated. And they speak to you the language of blessing, don't they? Some of you have gone up to customer service people and you've spoke the language of blessing to them, haven't you? See, we respond to insults with the language of blessing. We've been called to that. We've been called to that. See, as we meditate on the words of God and as we allow those to change the self-talk that we have, we see ourselves for who we are, the body of Christ living in a world, making his love known, making his touch known in the world. As we get an insult, we handle insults the way he did. And we just say, Father, forgive them. And we answer them with blessing. And the words of our mouth are pleasing in the sight of the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We respond with blessing. So how are we doing on that? As I look back, have my words become words of blessing? Oh. Do these cards make any difference? I believe they do. I know some of your stories. Not all of them, but some of them. And I've seen changes in you. I see people who are desiring a way to make Christ known. I see people who are passionate to know Christ even more deeply, to know the heart of God so that you can make the heart of God known. I see us changing. I long to see us change even more. I long to see me change more. As we begin to say, what does this mean for us? We brought the church in, or the we brought the train into the church and each one of us got a starfish thinking of who's the one that, that God's bringing into our lives who's the one that we could save today who's the one that we could speak words of blessing today how is God bringing the circumstance in your life so that you can make him known Listen, if a woman three days after a massive heart surgery, broken ribs, everything that's involved in that can be on the first thing saying, I wonder if all the nurses know the Lord. Listen, we can do this too. Amen. Thank you, Barb. We encourage one another in these things, don't we? 
this year we're going to step into the book of Acts together. We finished Mark. The Son of Man focused on his mission, and we're going to step into Acts and look at the church focused on his mission. What does it mean for the church to be taking over the mission that we've been given from Jesus? A little over 100 people gathered together to pray when Jesus left the earth, and they changed the world. Yeah. We can do that too, can't we? Through him and the power of his spirit. Enough. God, thank you. I praise you for who you are. I thank you for each of us, Lord, as we've learned to meditate on who you are, as we're learning to meditate on who you are. We can accept the forgiveness that's so freely given And we can allow our words to change as our hearts change. Thank you for the victories that you've given us already. Thank you for the victories that are in store. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. May I ask you please to stand and hear God's good word for you? This whole idea of blamelessness all revolves around Jesus Christ. And from the last two verses of Jude, to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, power, majesty, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Oh, I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. Praise God.